friends. Welcome to episode 158 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? Not too bad. Had a good dinner. Enjoyed yeah. a nice cup of tea. Yeah. You know, uh, got to finally finish reading through this game. Mm-hmm. We got a lot to talk about. We do have a lot to talk about. In, yeah. like different chunks yeah <laughs> uh so it is the second wednesday of the month and that means it is system spotlight time again uh, yeah. and this week we have a a game that kind of came out of left field for me at least i will flat out say that our our marketing person found this for us okay gave, gave a list of a bunch of different games and i kind of read through it i was like okay this one this one this one Okay, Jinxi Blood in the Banquet Hall. And I'm like, is this going to be like a Get Dr. Lucky or like, you know, like a one-shot kind of thing? Right, right. To, I'm like, to me, like, my brain immediately went to games like uh, uh, Thirsty Sword Lesbians. You know? Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. It's very good at doing one very particular type of little story that's just kind of goofy and right. light. And it, it doesn't mean that we won't learn something from it or we won't be able to take something because it was newer. I knew that. It was a relative because when I clicked on the original thing, it was going to a Kickstarter. I was like, oh, boy, are we going to even be able to look at this yet <clears> kind mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. um so we threw it on the list of options because we were like hey eh, of course you know we'll, we'll try anything and i remember you seeing like, throwing it on the list and uh i remember looking at it kind of going like jong shi blood in the ban in the, in the banquet hall what is this and yeah. you're like oh it's neat yeah and it, it you're it's, like it's about chinese immigrants that run a run a, a chinese restaurant during the day and fight the supernatural during the night yeah and, like, with that quick little Reader's Digest clip, I remember thinking to myself, like, what kind of racist BS is this? Like, and in all honesty, it does very much scream that based on face value. But, you know, I, I, I suppose, actually, you know, I, I have to cop to actually probably being the one that did the racism here because I assumed that it was written by a bunch of white dudes. And, okay. And it's not. It is it not is written by Chinese Americans about Chinese Americans. Not even contemporary. Kind of for Chinese Americans, sort, sort of. That's a kind of. And you know? yeah, and that, we'll kind of get into that. But like, let's take it back a step. So, um, I got the. I downloaded it from DriveThruRPG, which I will say is not the best way to do this one. Only because there were other materials. I'm just yeah, gonna set that there as a are thing. C- cards, dice, and a, and a game board almost. It's a three and a half pound box. Uh huh. <laughs> for, for a role playing game? Again, we'll get to that. Um, it was kickstarted, uh, back in August 13th, 2020, was funded on the first day with a hundred thousand in pledges. Mm-hmm. So, it was known. Um, uh, Sen Fulim, uh, is, or Sen Fonglim, sorry, apologize. Uh, I'm, we are gonna be terrible at this all night long, by the I, way. Neither he or I speak Mandarin, so we, we, we deeply apologize for mispronunciations. Um, We're doing our best. Is, is known for, uh, two things that we've already, well, kind of one thing. We had kids on bikes, teens in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but has been, uh, did work with, uh, Gears of Defiance, uh, North Sea Epilogues, uh, Never Going Home, uh, The Curse, uh, uh, the, the curse, the of, the curse of the house of, of Rook, Rookwood, Rookwood, which yeah. I've looked into, uh, and uh, Mecha and Monsters uh, Two evolved, um, but then grabbed Banana Chan, uh, who is another writer who has worked grabbed on who? <laughs> what grabbed who Banana Chan. 
Do-do-do-do-do. Exactly. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> but both amazingly lovely individuals, well-written. Uh, I actually want to look into Demos Academy. It's it's something newer, and I'm kind uh-huh. of intrigued. As well as the new thing that they're both involved in, which is Exquisite Crime, um, which I'm not going to get into. I mean, this sounds delightful by the title. It's an un- it's literally exquisite crime and like an unusual storytelling. And it's, okay. So I'm I'm intrigued by yeah. it, but I'm not going to step into that at all. But sure, either sure, way, sure. Uh, Banana Chan was actually because of this pulled in to write the Zhangxi that are in D and D Ravenloft. Yes, which I thought was amazing. The new Ravenloft supplements uh, 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 gives the ability to like make your own. Um, spoopy realm, yes. basically, yes. and yeah, some of them like, they give all sorts of different themes for spoopy things you can throw in there. So it's great to see the Jiangxi, yeah, um, put in there and and represented. Yeah, and, and, I mean they did a little tweaks, but of course that's sure. it, it's a, it's fantasy. You can do sure. that. Uh, but it was just neat that uh that they were asked to after somebody had heard about this, we're like, hey, can you help us? Mm-hmm. Right? Because we want it. These sound really cool. Um. And and just to put it in perspective, before we even get into the game, um, the uh, Zhangxi are uh, are Chinese hopping vampires. Say it again, Chinese, Chinese hopping, hopping vampires. vampires. Now, now they are I'm, I'm old. Gonna, I'm going to say this. Yes. Before we ever get started in any of this, yes. okay. Do yourself the favor. Look up on YouTube a movie called Mr. Vampire. Yes. There is a 10-minute clip out there mm-hmm. of just some dudes fighting Chinese hopping vampires. It's it's fantastic. It is fantastic. And if you do not want to role-playing, if you want to, do not immediately want to play a role-playing game set, you know, in, in that in that game world. And that feeling. And that yeah. feeling. Yeah. Like, it's, it's crazy. It's just amazing. So, Look it up. So let's talk a little bit about what those are just in reference. So historically... Um, they are relatives of a person who died far away from home and couldn't afford transportation for the deceased body to be returned, um, because basically people would be sad being away from home. They wouldn't rest properly. The the spirit would wander because it it was lost. Yeah. So a, a Taoist priest would come and conduct a ritual to reanimate the body, uh, and have, and travel with the body by night, uh, where it would hop basically home and they would ring a bell to let people know not to look upon it and receive a, a bad omen and, and, and bad juju basically from doing that. right now the reason they would hop is because uh Zhongxi, um translates to stiff body yes um which basically refers to the rigor mortis that is set in mm-hmm. the Zhongxi cannot because they're their corpses, they're right. just literally dead bodies right. with rigor mortis, can't move their limbs. So essentially they're just arms out and are able to kind of hop a little bit right. but not really ambulate. Right. Um, that all being said, the truth behind that was that, yeah, that kind of did happen. People had to get home. And so oftentimes when somebody had to be buried away uh, from where they had passed, they would literally get uh, two individuals – uh, they would have effectively hire them, and they would arrange the corpses upright, single file, and be tied to long bamboo rods on both sides, so like railing almost, mm-hmm. that would then be placed on the shoulders of two men on the front and the back, who would then carry them to their de- destination by night often, mm-hmm. um, with somebody ringing the bell, presumably, to help alert people they're there. But if you were to glance at them in the dark or at a distance, you would see two individuals and then these hopping, stiff people in between. Yep. 
thus creating the illusion or the the imagery uh, of what uh, people per- perceived. And I, I, I that whole wrapped beauty of the story mm-hmm. of the mythos of, of how it became is wonderful to me. I love that. Yeah, I love all all parts of that. Now in in. Uh, uh... Now in kind of popular culture, what yeah. the what the Jiangxi have turned into is these these hopping vampires. So they are uh, rigor mortis uh, ridden corpses that rise from the dead mm-hmm. and uh, seek out essentially the life force of other people. Yes, and they will um, siphon your your key, your uh, your life energy mm-hmm. out of you. Yeah, um, and uh, can make you sick, or could outright if they kill you like this, you might become a Jiangxi yourself. Exactly. Um, but it that kind of energy exchange comes into play within the story even mm-hmm. and how they affect the area around them almost a an energy rot if you will yeah. that kind of projects from them um and areas that they've been in and things that they've done uh and that they're kind of intelligent to a demonic nature mm-hmm. uh where they have an organization at times and and can do things it's not like uh you know not like you know army of the dead or anything like that it's more like yeah, it's it's not, it's not demon vamp- culture. It's not Vampire the Masquerade. We're not you know no. we're, we're not mafia organizations running the city from the shadows or anything no. like that here. But uh, it might be. But one... there, there there might be a pack of Jiangxi together right. that you know have a goal. Yeah, that is more than just hop brains, around and eat people. Yeah. You know, kind of a thing. So, <clears throat> um, so where does where does our our, our game come into this? That's an interesting point. Um, the game itself, uh, in, in short, and again, like we said, is mm-hmm. is you are playing you are playing a family that own or are starting or are translating, depending on the story style that you're doing, a Chinese restaurant in the 1920s. So we're not even contemporary. We're talking about a specific time period, um, a, a time period that is well defined in these books mm-hmm. or in this book. And through pages and pages of careful explanation of how history uh, spanned for the Chinese Americans uh, through not only America and China, but also Canada yep. um, and how that affected them and sets kind of this stage of of community, of mixed community, of power, of racism, um, of struggle. Mm-hmm. Um all wrapped into one. It's there. There are seven. The book itself is four hundred. Uh, sorry, uh, one hundred and forty-nine pages. Yep. Seventy-one of them, like forty-eight percent of the book, is uh, history and cultural background information that, on Chinese culture in the nineteen twenties, as well as how to play that, which I think is the kind of thing that drew me even further into this. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's and it really like it does such a good job of painting a picture of what the world was like for a Chinese immigrant um, mm-hmm. during that time. And they they talk a lot about like the Boxer Rebellion in China mm-hmm. and um, the uh, internments. Uh, the inter well, not they they address it. Uh, was there internment? No, the Ch- the Chinese Exclusion Act. Exclusion Act. I'm sorry. Yeah, not not the internments. The, the Exclusion Act. Internments. Yeah. Um, but uh. Uh, things like the Exclusion Act, um, you know, and like how we're like we're culturally like the Chinese rail workers and stuff that mm-hmm. came in because there was you know the Exclusion Act where like basically you, you couldn't hire 
new Chinese workers. You couldn't bring new Chinese people in, you know, with very certain exceptions and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So immigrate, like they had a really rough road immigration wise. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, Chinatown started, uh, basically the first Chinatown was in San Francisco, mm-hmm. though they make mention of, I want to say it was like Vancouver, Los yes. Angeles, New York, and I want to say there was one more in Canada, Toronto. I believe that might be correct. Uh, have, uh, have pretty prevalent Chinatowns as well. Yeah. They, and these they were at, at their time periods, um, very different than what we know today. They were sometimes cattle areas. They were uh, rail mm-hmm. areas mm-hmm. that were bustling because they were bringing transportation to a specific point, whether by sea yep. and then by rail and then driving things. So there were all these other, uh, cultural aspects of america and of business mashing at the same time that these these uh cultural areas were being built up yep yep and then uh san francisco specifically because uh it was the entry point to america for Mm -hmm. a lot of chinese immigrants being on the west coast yep uh, and so they, they detail a lot of that, how Chinatowns kind of came to be and what a lot of the cultural influences were in them. And then, um, what cultural influences were pushing against them from the outside. And so they get into, um, a lot of the, uh, not just the Chinese exclusion act and stuff like that, but a lot of the more subtle racisms and stuff like that, that would be pressing against them. Um, because, uh, you know, there, there was even stuff like that. There was a bubonic plague outbreak, I guess, in San Francisco Chinatown, um, where they quarantined off the entire area. And of course, yeah. you know, white people got a hold of that and were like, oh, uh, Chinese people are plague bearers yeah. and just mass hysteria and more racism and stuff like that. So. Right. It, but it paints the picture and helps with the understanding of, of where this is all kind of coming from. Exactly. And, and the, the roots of it. And for me, I love hearing that but hearing it from the perspective of here is the history this is mm-hmm. where we are at we're not we're not saying all of this wasn't uh culturally important but it's what makes the scene and you know what it what occurred to me too is that uh, as i was reading over it i'm like wow this is a lot of history that like they kind of expect you to to, to know before walking into this game and it feels like a lot but then i realized like you know i read this much lore on freaking lizard men in Faerun, you know <laughs> i i read this much history for water deep so like really there's no right there's no excuse for not reading over this stuff and knowing it and understanding the culture and whatnot and stuff of like that right and the other thing that they do a really good job at the beginning of and they they had a lot of help with this because they wanted to address the fact that most of the people stepping into this game or seeing this probably are not chinese americans mm-hmm. that they don't have the understanding so how do you not do a faux pas do a racism you know do a racism with you know i'm not racist but did i just do something racist you know do i have racism in what i'm doing or how i'm playing the game or how i'm running the game yeah and it's and, like literally the first page they, yeah. they're like look white people it's okay yeah play this game yeah. please by all means yeah the only uh, thing if, that they did, if you, uh, yeah. if you stream it, yeah. we would prefer you have a Chinese American or Chinese Canadian at your table. Yeah, um, I'll say Chinese American in the North American Correct. sense. Thank you. Uh, just to clean it up a little bit, yeah. so I don't constantly yeah. say Chinese Canadian as well. Um, but you know, Ch- a Chinese North American there um, at your table mm-hmm. because representation very much matters. And, very much. And wholly agree. We say that all the time. Representation matters. Yeah, they they actually um, reached out to uh, James uh, Mendez Hodes. Uh, who is 
prolific um, in uh, in working on uh, cultural uh, and um, and I'll, I'll use cultural in all the sense cultural sensitivity uh, sensitivities yeah. and adjustments. Um, most recently, you may be aware of a piece he did on orcs in writing and how he made it very clear that like Tolkien did no favors mm-hmm. to a race that was literally designed to be a, a fighting race and created and crafted this to and basically created a racist belief that has been carried on mm-hmm. um about a culture and he explained that and that goes beyond not liking that but not liking the inference that it creates you got a great quote here from him. It says, uh, yeah. if we play a game and how, uh, how you or the game talk about orcs reminds me of how racists talk about me, memories of racism distract me and I cannot enjoy the game. If you like, call it a me problem, not a you problem. If you want that kind of game, cool. I just won't join you. You'll be better off without me. I'll be better off without you. Not calling you racist or evil, just stating a preference. But it's better we discuss this now rather than midway through the game, yeah? And that right there was the crux of what he was trying to get across Mm -hmm. in talking about orcs. But I think that comment dissected and and, and, and extrapolated into the whole opening of this book, which was referred to as safety. And that open-door policy of, hey, this isn't comfortable for me. I need to go. And no... Oh, whoa, 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 you know, or, or what's your problem or just, okay, you got it. Mm-hmm. And it, that's perfectly fine. It's not that like there's any animosity between players at that point. That's literally yeah. just a step off. I don't hate you. I'm not telling you, you have to change. I'm just not going to sit at your table. It's not my thing. Right. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe just for this game. Sure. Maybe even just for this scene. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. It's just an open door policy of acceptance on that, and that's something that you need to have when you're dealing with these types of things. Yeah, yeah. It's not just about having an X card at the table, which they do describe mm-hmm. in very short, but make it very point that an X card is necessary. And or even talking about the length that they go into talking about lines and veils. Yeah. Lines being things that are hard stops at the table that players are not going to accept. Like we do not want whatsoever to have child abuse at the table in any form. Sure. Done. Sure. Versus a veil where you might have the inference of of nudity mm-hmm. at your table, but it's always a cutaway. Yeah. I'm I'm okay with sex being a thing in my game, but just let's not describe it. Like exactly. They, they go giggling into the next room and fade to black. Right. The next morning, yeah. you know, kind exactly. of a thing. And Do we all know what happened? Yes. Did we describe it? No. No. Because it's not necessary. And that's the, that's the thing. And that can go for anything. We were talking about tonight over dinner that one of our players doesn't have, like, has severe issues with water and drowning. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things you literally drew a line in the game is, is that there shall be no drowning. That will never be something that happens. I looked him in the eye and I told him, I'm like, look, I'm telling you out of game in a meta sense, water will never be a danger in this game. If you see water, you can be rest assured no one is drowning in it. It will never be a hazard, etc. You know, because that's because that's a sensitivity to you. Like we might go in, we might get on a boat. I never want you to worry. Like, oh God, is the next scene going to be this boat capsizing? Right. 
Right. Maybe, but you'll wash up on shore immediately, safe and sound, and the adventure will continue from there. Exactly. The water will never be a danger. So the idea of creating this environment, of talking about it, is the is the crux of the opening of the book. Mm -hmm. And then stepping into playing those characters. Like, how do you play a Asian American, a Chinese American, a Chinese North American? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to be that without it being a trope or a stereotype? How do you avoid those things? How do you avoid being, you know, following a racism that you may not even be aware of? And, one of the things that he said, which I think is really good, and we again address that by not even talking about Chinese Americans, mm-hmm. but how this can be expressed, is that we often get the question, like, how do I play an X when I'm a Y? Right. How right. can I be respectful? And one of the things specifically with this that he said was, um, that they say in the book is, uh, think instead about how you take one of those aspects and make it feel casual or normal. Something... Something extraordinary yeah. that you do. Like maybe you love Mahjong or maybe mm-hmm. you're really, really good at math or maybe something like that. Like how do you make that feel casual or normal? What are some analogous uh, practices, uh, practices? Analogous practices, thank you. yes. Uh, that in your real life that you can put with that. You well, know? I think one of, the, one of the big examples they were talking about is like casually having a shrine to your ancestors or something like that. Yeah. Or, or, you know, that a, you see a every day or something like that. Yeah. In, yeah, in your house every day. Like yeah. most people don't have shrines in their houses, nope. but these people do. Yeah. Culturally, they, they, they would. So how do you just make that feel normal and casual? Yeah. A, a good example of that without it becoming extreme uh, was uh, in um, – uh, oh, God, now I'm losing it um, – uh, I'll come back to it, but some some recent shows uh, tend to add family or cultural elements to them mm-hmm. that the that people just move through. Mm-hmm. It becomes part of your ritual, um, often referred to as like your, your religion of your day, and that is what makes it different. That mm-hmm. that's what allows you to step into those. Shoes, like, if I want to, like, I don't live in New York City. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it means to be a courier in New York City. But maybe if, like, biking is my thing, like, it's, I feel strong and powerful and I can zip through cars, like, and, and move through things, maybe I can make that a passion of mine. So it becomes aspects of what I do every day. Mm-hmm. I I wake up every morning. I get my bike down. I check tire pressure, I make sure my pads are good while I'm literally making coffee and doing other things. It's just part of who I am every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's the difference. That's the shift that you have to do. You're not making a trope out of like, you know, every step of the way this is what I'm doing. I'm always including biking in everything I do. That's not where we're going with this. You know, that's that's where you start stereotyping and making it comical. Mm-hmm. We're talking about a a deeply rooted, not just passion, but life uh, existence, mm-hmm. you know, a, a true religion, if you will. Yeah, yeah. You know, and of course, avoiding stereotypes is one of the biggest things you can do. Yeah, you know? yeah. And you, you want um, to – it's okay to have a, have a character that knows martial arts, but like being, quote-unquote, the martial artist is or a having, racist. Or having everybody – 
no martial, even the grandmother fighting, yeah, mar- using martial arts. Yeah. It's like, oh, come on, come okay, on, it's it's, it's a bit of a bit of a stereotype there. Yeah. You know, yeah, this it, isn't it, kung fu hustle. That is literally a failing, but at the same time, comedic to a comedic degree. And and they they make note that like you know, uh, it, the problem isn't the, the isn't that a Chinese character is a martial artist. It's it's that martial arts defines them in a way that an English boxer or a Greek wrestler wouldn't be defined in the same way. Right. They don't the walk around half naked covered in oil all the time. Right, right. So it's just it's just being being mindful uh that that, that you, it's okay to do things that are quote unquote stereotypically um you know those type of characters, but just make sure that you're rounding that character out and not yeah. just defining them by that one aspect. And other know? things they talk about is don't use accents. You know, yeah. if you're talking about honor or family honor Unless you're clearly defining what that honor means through the actions of the person, it doesn't have reference. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, and, and like, don't start spouting fortune cookie statements. Yeah. Yeah. Fortune cookies weren't even Chinese. They were actually Japanese. Yeah. And sold to Chinese restaurants. <laughs> and sold to Chinese that restaurants. That were often because... owned by Japanese people, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, there's a, there's a lot of like, in, especially in the like in the restaurant industry, I find that like there's a lot of like um, pan Asian cross uh, ownership cross. Yeah, I, I I don't know I don't know what the word what the right word for it is, but like um, one of my one of my earlier members there was a really great Japanese restaurant that popped up around my yeah. house when I was uh, when I was living with my parents, and yeah. uh, I, I would go there and I'm like. And I, I was learning Japanese at the time. I actually spent some time in, Jap- in Japan as an exchange student uh, in, in high school. And so I I said I went to this Japanese restaurant and said to the Asian guy who was cooking my food something in Japanese. And he just kind of smirked at me and went, I'm Korean, dude. Yeah. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, you're doing an amazing job cooking my Japanese, you know, food yeah. at a Japanese restaurant. I I apologize. I made an assumption there that, that yeah. was incorrect. Yeah. You know, and, and I I think that's something common that we really do. Yeah. Like, we just assume. But, I mean, how many people who make American burgers are American? Like, what, what even is American, ex- and honestly? That's, that's yeah. the key. That's the thing. But, that like, we, yeah, we don't ask the people making our, our, our pizza to be Italian. You know, we don't Even ask. though that really isn't Italian. So, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, that's really not Italian. Yeah. We're, the, we're people at, the people at Olive Garden aren't Italian either. So, <laughs> God, know. no. God, God, no. that's okay. Now there's their food. Yeah, and the other thing um, that kind of goes comes back to the veils concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much the lines is don't say the racial racial slurs. Yeah, don't use them. It is absolutely okay, and in fact preferred to be like the cop comes in and starts shaking you down for protection money. He calls you a lot of awful slurs. That's it. That's his dialogue. That that's his dialogue. That is his dialogue. We don't need to hear them. We yeah. know that there are Asian slurs out there. Yeah. Or you can even say, like, you know, he's talking to you and, you know, is asking questions. He starts asking you about the, the murder that happened in the alley last night and specific details about the woman and uh, addressing some, some points about the restaurant's cleanliness back there. And then immediately throws in two racial slurs about, you know, things in the alley. Mm. And you're like, <sighs> and that's it. Yep. That's it. You've just you've just handled it. Yep. Um and th- that level may be the accepted level. 
you may be able to veil it a little further than that and sure. even and even address like to which direction they're going with it but then that still depends on the comfort of the people at the table right but never go full into it that there's no reason for it everybody understands that we're all communicating at the same level and we're trying to eliminate that that's the point is we're addressing and moving through the story to keep us all aware of what's going on and that it is the horrible thing. And that's mm -hmm. the one other thing is that NPCs who create tension are the ones using that. Mm -hmm. It is not for the players. Yeah. It is not for the supportive characters. Yes. This, this isn't for them to use. Racists are an antagonist force in this game. Correct. Uh, designed to be pushing against you in much in the same way that Jiangxi are. Yeah. I mean, if you've got members of your own community who are creating tension and causing issues, aka other NPCs, sure. As a storyteller, that's that could be acceptable. Yeah, then look, there's there's there there are whole themes in this game about like racial assimilation, mm -hmm. um, and like assimilating into quote unquote American culture, mm -hmm. um, and what does that mean for you know leaving your own Chinese culture behind? Uh, what does that make you? You know, uh, by assimilating in, and especially in in a a um, environment of heavy racism where assimilating might mean becoming more like the racists that hate you you know there are some cultural questions there and understandably they they create some tensions in in uh in, in places like 1920s chinatown especially yeah um and so you know there there very well might be other chinese people using racial slurs mm -hmm. because there's just those types of tensions yeah. you know so now that this has taken up about as much of the book as yeah, we're we're like a half hour in and we haven't talked about the game. Let's let's start at least talking about what's in this three and a half pound box, right? <laughs> that got shipped out. Uh, Besides amazing art and a book that is hilarious to me when I first started paging through it, it literally <laughs> looks like a Chinese takeout menu. It's hilarious. Like, there are it's it's subtle until you notice it because it doesn't make sense. Like the the bands across titles. The section headings, yeah. The section headings have the name and the section heading on the left side, and it's a band that goes left to right on the right side. And there's a little bit of Mandarin. And, uh, and then Mandarin a price. kanji on, on one side, yeah. yeah. And then a price. And, and then you're price. like, wait, <laughs> is that a price? And you start flipping through and you realize it is a price. Yes. <laughs> um, and it's, it's just a, a little ad. And the art is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. By all means, gorgeous. And, and beautifully sketched mm -hmm. in a way that... It feels appropriate for the setting, for the time, yeah. for the feel. Yeah, the book the book was super well put together. Um, it looked just as high quality as basically any other like yeah. mainstream. I would say tr you know triple A. Yeah, uh, and book that 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 I've picked up in the last. They were while. very honored in being able to get the artist that they did to do the cover. Like, um, I can't remember the artist's name off the top of my head. I'm sorry. I feel terrible about that. Uh, but they don't normally step away from projects that they're actively working on to do a second project. But mm -hmm. when it was presented and the person is also part of the Asian community, they were like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm totally going to take this. And yeah. they immediately sent them two proofs of ideas. Absolutely. And they were like, we'll take this one. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And, and that's and a beautiful cover. Yeah. No, it really, really comes together with the cover. I think so. uh, if you look up on our Twitter. Um, yeah. Uh, the like art's there. The, the, the art is there um, because Twitter like automatically pulled the picture for it. Uh, our marketing person's pretty cool too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Anywho, so the, we, it comes with some physical pieces because they wanted it to feel tactile. They wanted you to feel invested, which is another reason why yeah. the book looks like it does. We uh, we picked it up on Drive Through RPG, mm-hmm. um, so unfortunately we don't have the rest pieces. of the physical pieces. Yeah. Um, uh, but it was it was good for us to be able to uh, review the game system and, and understand how it's played right. and whatnot. Um, so uh, do know that there are some specialized pieces of of, of equipment i suppose There's that are like, necessary essentially a board and some cards mm-hmm. um Type because cards. It, it's it's almost like a very very light board game aspect to it yeah um but uh you know, it, there's there's a part of me that's like a little annoyed that it's got such specialized stuff with it, but then I remember like I've got special more uh, tons more specialized stuff for my D and D game than yeah <laughs> than, yeah it's you it's know, kind of scary. There's how much... no minis, there's no terrain, there's no right. you know right, and and like we've, so like we've dealt with condition cards before. Yeah, a, I mean, a, a play a playboard and some cards is not too no big of not in the least at all, and it, it helps. Just like our condition, our NPC cards that we have, same thing. They help immerse you in the game. Exactly. Having a tactical thing in front of you so that you don't have to reference that rule is very good. So you've got this restaurant board that has the four phases of the game, Mm -hmm. which is the uh, morning, afternoon, evening, and dead of night. Dead of night. Which is important. Um, But those phases then just loop. Mm -hmm. That's part of the gameplay story loop that's part of it. You, You move through each one of the phases, you go back to the morning, and each one has a has importance going into the next. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then along with that, you also have um, a couple decks of specialized cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got the Zhangxi cards, which are basically used to mark um, harm. I wouldn't even call it damage. It's it's harm. Uh, it's, it's, it's harm against your resilience. Yes. Um, there, there, this isn't really a lethal game. We're not really talking about people dying. Pretty much the worst that happens is you get turned into a Zhangxi. Which isn't necessarily even bad. Isn't necessarily bad and doesn't necessarily even happen. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we get into the combat mechanics. Yeah. Or, or lack thereof. Spoiler alert. Yes. Um, but uh, so there's Zhangxi cards that are there to mark off damage. And essentially your character sheet acts as like an eight square grid. Mm-hmm. And the Zhangxi cards literally just fit over one square in that grid, and you lose whatever is under that Zhangxi card. Yeah, they you lose access you down. to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are Hmong cards. Hmong, I believe I'm, I'm yes. pronouncing that correct. Yep. Um, and that those are essentially like bad dreams. It's an optional mm-hmm. rule um, where if you're getting a little deeper into gameplay. Um, and those are kind of like diet damage cards. Yeah. They serve kind of the same function that Yangshi cards do, um, but are just an alternate form of, of hitting your resilience, and they can, they only do the first four. Correct. Um, there are restaurant cards. Mm-hmm. Okay. These detail um, the chores that you need to do mm-hmm. uh, during the morning the morning phase uh, mm-hmm. to upkeep your restaurant, and if you fail to complete those chores for whatever reasons, mm-hmm. um, they will then go onto the restaurant board in the center of the table. Marking off squares, much like you would do on a character sheet, whatever space they cover, you lose the special abilities that your restaurant grants you. Because the restaurant technically is a character. The restaurant is kind of a character in the same way that, like, the ship is in a lot of space games. Or the uh, the the extra is in Kids with Bikes. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's something that everybody is part of, but at the same time can be affected by the story. Exactly. And often is. Uh, and then there's uh, a... Um, it, I, 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 I was a little sketchy of whether there was one or whether there was multiples of these um, defeating the Zhangxi 101 cards. 
Yes. Uh, typically, the eldest person gets this card at the table, but it can be delegated to someone else if, if the, the party decides to. Yeah. Um, and basically, they're the person who in, in the group that has the the knowledge on mm-hmm. how to combat the Jiangxi. Yeah. And it's it's literally their weaknesses and and information about them. Mm-hmm. So uh, overall, though, um, it like I say, it, it kind of has a board gamey sort of feel to it. It, mm-hmm. it it evokes that sort of a, th- a feeling rather than like your traditional pen and paper RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's great, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, Zhangxi, above all, really cried out to me that it knows exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't try to be anything else. Very it's much like, so. This is a very specialized game for playing exactly this type of story. And we're going to do it the best way we possibly can. Here's all the tools you'll need to do that. But I think what's, I mean, not to get into our ending and wrap up very much about that, but because of that, it does, it refines it and you look, you can look at it with a different lens. Mm-hmm. It may not work in another game, but I can take a lot of good information from this refinement. Yeah, absolutely. You know, or absolutely. not. Um, so again, we, let's get into the mechanics a little bit. Let's talk about character creation. I know you got into the mechanics way heavier than I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mechanics are really where I where I kind of thrive in this sort of stuff. Um, uh, so your character creation, um, so first off, they've got a whole, like, three pages or something like that on picking your character's name. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say it's three pages, it's stuff like, um, here are how, like, your family name and your... Um, you know, in your, your personal name are like put together. Mm-hmm. Here are different ways of pronouncing them mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So you understand there are different inflections. Like mm-hmm. she is different than she. Yeah. Those are two different sounds yeah. in, in Mandarin, you know, um, they go through a lot of that. Um, and you know, your like your family name is a big, important thing. Yeah. Um, because you, you are creating a family mm-hmm. that works, that, that works this restaurant. Um, also, uh, like, you know, likewise as, as immigrants, a lot of people would take on an English name. Mm-hmm. You know, my name might be, you know, Siu Chong, but, uh, you can call me Sarah. Right. Because it's easier for white people to say. Right. You know, right. um, and it was part, kind of part of the assimilation, mm-hmm. you know, sort of process into that. You know, some people felt differently about, about whether or not, you know, you should take on an English name or not. Some people might have one, some people might not. You yeah. don't know. And then um, there's this there, – there's the generational difference, your age stepping into it. And that's – it's an important part of having an elder, a parent, mm-hmm. children, you know, and knowing – and having that power discrepancies between them. And I say power in the sense of authority is is very clear. They were the wiser ones. Yes. The who you look up to. Yes. Hence why the 101 card ends up going to the eldest. Exactly. Because the yeah. eldest is the wisest. That's obviously. Right. Yeah. Um. Now then you've got uh, a number of squares that make up your character sheet. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of those squares is your an everyday item. Which I love. It's just a thing. Yeah. It's just a thing that your character has. It's a useful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the how it, how it works basically for you is that once per day, um, if you can in some way incorporate that thing into a scene, um, it allows you to re-roll the highest die. Of, of your dice pool. And we'll get into the dice mechanics in a little bit. Um, suffice to say, you're rolling a bunch of D8. You want to get as high of numbers as possible without rolling any fours. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you rolled like your, your two is your highest die, see if you can maybe work your item into the description and re-roll it and get like a six instead. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, your next, uh, you, you've also got another item called an heirloom. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, an heirloom is like a personal item, but it's more of like a memoir tied to an ancestor. So it might be like your great grandmother's favorite earrings or something like that. Yeah. Um, the ancestor that it is um, tied to, you can consult with once per day, which I love. Gets a little bit of plot information mm-hmm. out, um, and then also you can actually um, break the item, like literally physically destroy the item. Um, once, yeah. because once it's broken, even if you mend it, it's never going to be the same again. Right. Um, it severs the tie to the ancestor, setting them free, but you instantly heal three resilience on yourself or anyone else in the scene. Which I so. think is great, and that's, you see that actually yeah. a lot in stories and, 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 uh, movies, mm-hmm. uh, from it. So I, I feel as like that felt like a very necessary thing to, yeah. to have in there. I love it. It's cool because it gives everybody kind of a panic button too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then uh, two of your squares are going to be skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, skills, there's a there's a decent sized list of skills. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, there's no ratings for them or anything like that. You only get two skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your skills are things like cooking, mm-hmm. writing, you know, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, if your skill comes into play, mm-hmm. If you have cooking as a skill and you are asked to cook the evening meal and let's see how well it's done because you have an important guest tonight. So let's see how that turns out. While you have the cooking skill, you get to re-roll. Um, you can re-roll your dice pool at minus one die if mm-hmm. you don't like the first result. Right. That's great. Gives yeah. you two chances, basically. Yep. Yep. Um, and then two more of your things are called facets. Mm-hmm. Facets are not skills... Kind of backgrounds function a little bit like edges or feats might. Interests. Interests. They're like not really skills or professions, but they're things that you're good at outside of what you do. I feel like they're the, they're the shadow run knowledge list. Yeah. Because they, they're, they're not something that you can actually rely on, but it's something you're familiar with. Like for instance, I might be familiar with, you know, uh, anime. You know, or or K-pop, or mm-hmm. I might have an express knowledge in you know ancient swords. Doesn't make me a sword master, but I am aware of them. Yeah, know? yeah. I'm having, we're having a tough time describing them, but like you'll you'll know what they. You, when when you see the list, you'll know exactly mm-hmm. how to use a facet. <laughs> yes. Um, and then facets have their own uh, their own rules to them. Basically, they give you like uh, kind of its its own little thing, like a trick <laughs> yeah. you can kind of do. So that's why I kind of compare them to like edges or feats. Yeah. Um, language. Mm-hmm. Is likewise a uh, a very important part because mm-hmm. you are Chinese immigrants. Mm-hmm. So you, how well do you speak Chinese? What dialect of Chinese do you speak? Cantonese, Mandarin, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it each one of these is broken down. Uh, so your English and your Chinese dialect is broken into listening, speaking, reading, and writing. And there are three points you can potentially put into each one. So a rating of zero through three, mm-hmm. um, and you have thirteen points to spend. Mm-hmm. So not enough for fluency in both. Nope. Um, so really pick yeah. what you want to be good at. Do you want yeah. to be a little, little, little good at both, or do you want you know a, a child maybe born in the middle of a of a a, 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 a dual language speaking family mm-hmm. uh, that's maybe trying their best to assimilate, but uh, or, or do you want to be a full, one of that that fully assimilated kid that. Just loves American culture and really never learned to speak Chinese. Yeah, can't read or write it at all. Maybe can barely understand the family, mm-hmm. you know, but 
you know, because because dad speaks it. Or know? are you staunchly refusing to assimilate into American culture because, you know, screw them, they're a bunch of racists anyways, mm-hmm. and you're just going to keep speaking Chinese because it was good enough for your family and everybody around you can understand it anyways. Yeah. So, you know, yep. Yep. Uh, you you make your choices about who your character is yep. and how language affects your, your integration into it. Um, and then lastly, you've got your hopes and dreams. Yep. Uh, now, your hopes and dreams um, are really just a descriptor of what your character's goals are. Yeah. Um, and so it, it doesn't have to be too deep. It's just like, you know, uh, uh, learn to be a jazz musician. Sure. Cool. Okay. Um, anytime you're acting in favor of your hopes and dreams, mm-hmm. you can gain a personal die. Mm-hmm. Um, and a personal die is kind of kind of along the lines of like a personal die pool you can throw into certain things as bonuses. Think of it a little bit like inspiration in uh uh 5th edition D&D. Yep. Only you can have multiples. Mm-hmm. You can create a small dice pool out of them if you get multiple of them. Um maybe like drama die in 7C. Yeah. I think um, that's that's a good way of putting maybe it. Maybe effectively a little bit like Benny's in Savage Worlds. To a degree, um, yeah. But anyways, they're, they're 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 tokens you can earn for extra Including, benefit. Yep. Yes. So then we have the restaurant, which is its own character, like we had talked about. Yeah, it's it's as important, if not more so, than the rest of the characters because they're the ones surviving within it. Mm-hmm. It is the crux and focus of everything. It's your home base. Yeah. So it has to survive. It has to exist, and because of that, you have to develop it, which I love. Like, I love games that develop mm-hmm. not only the space that, you know, what you're playing in, but also the, the, the largest component of it. It was very reminiscent of, like, Kids on Bikes, mm-hmm. where they were like, okay, let's talk about the small town you, you, you exist in. What is, what's the school mascot? What's the town known for? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, et cetera, et cetera. And it's very much you go through those sort of things in, in your own, your own restaurant. What is, what's your signature dish? Mm-hmm. What's your biggest clientele? You know, where in the, where in the, in the, in, in Chinatown are you? Yeah. You know, are you close to the financial district? Are you close to the docks? You know, um, and uh, you know what? Like, what's what's your signature dish? Yeah. What because of that is 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 grandma's you know pork dumplings the thing that everybody shows up for? You know, right, right. Some secret recipe that's been passed down through the family, and because of that, you get abilities mm-hmm. from the restaurant. That as long as it's functional, as long as it's in good repair, it's clean, the chores have been completed, you, you're, you're doing that, it helps you along with your goals. On the other hand, if you start failing, like with yourself, you lose those abilities. They get covered. Mm-hmm. So things like re-rolls, bonus dice, um, things like that that can be happen once per day per player for the whole party mm-hmm. could just get wiped out because you didn't take care of the kitchen. You didn't have enough time to cook all the noodles. Yeah. So now you, you just can't serve noodle dishes that day. And that means you also don't get the bonus die, you know, yep. for, for re-rolls or whatever. Yeah. Um, now you can get these things back mm-hmm. if at a later point you can, uh, you can finish those things off and, and complete the tasks again to get them, to get those cards removed. Mm-hmm. But you know, it'd be rough. I don't know. Um, there, mm-hmm. there is a slow push towards entropy that your, that your restaurant kind of has. Yep. And you've got to not only take care of yourselves, but also take care of the restaurant, et cetera. If the restaurant falls into disrepair, you effectively lose. Yeah. Like the whole reason you're doing this is to defend and up, upkeep your restaurant. Yeah. Like the Jiangxi are, are like almost incidental to that. They're the weather. They're the, yeah, they're the weather. You want, <laughs> <laughs> you want to stop. You want to keep the restaurant safe from 
not only the gangs and the police and outside factors like your grocer not giving you the correct groceries, mm-hmm. but also the Jiang Shi. Yeah. And that's, that's it. Defend yep. the restaurant. That's the game, you know? Yep. Um, but there's no real advancement. No, no, no. Uh, and the game, the, the game is very clear about that right up front. Mm-hmm. Um, it outright says that there is, that this is a game designed basically for one shots mm-hmm. or like short term play, like maybe five game sessions. If you really get in depth, like once per day in a five day story. Yeah. Um, there's no, there's no experience points. There's no advancement. There's no right. metric for any of that. And really, what would you do with it? Mm-hmm. Maybe more points in language, I guess, but like. Yeah, or or even like, do you just move through the, do you move through parts of the family? Like mm-hmm. this first, you know, this first part is this act one is the opening of the restaurant in the area, and the mm-hmm. next one is like a midpoint in history. Maybe when the younger people are a little bit yeah, older, you could, could do something like that. I could see that, but I think you would just yeah. make up the characters fresh for each, exactly. each time. You know, there's there's no there's no scalability to the characters. There's no like attributes. Nope. So there's no numbers to really increase. Like I said, the thirteen points in language is the only spendable, like, real spendable. Like maybe give yourself, you couldn't even give yourself another skill because a skill takes up a slot. Mm-hmm. One of the eight slots on your character sheet that represents right. your resilience. Right. There's not even room for it on the character sheet to add another skill or anything like that, you know? No. So, I mean, you could alter your, I, I guess your passion. That'd be about it. But, but that, but that's a, but that's a lateral change. Yeah. That's not a, that's not an advancement. Right. Right. So, um, but, but again, game knows exactly what it is. It knows mm-hmm. exactly what it does. So it does not have an advancement system. Mm-hmm. Um, mechanically. So mechanically, yeah. we mentioned the game's played in four phases, mm-hmm. morning, afternoon, evening, and the dead of night. Mm-hmm. Um, each phase has gameplay that kind of accompanies it. Right. Uh, a particular beat in the story that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, your morning phase is kind of a, um, it's probably the more heavily mechanical phase of mm-hmm. the of the four, um, because that's when all your restaurant prep happens. Um, you have the restaurant cards that get passed out. Everybody gets two cards, two restaurant cards in the morning. Um, those detail essentially a chore that you need to do: cleaning the restaurant, writing, you know, changing up the menus, um, preparing certain things in the back of the house, you know, like the like the noodles or whatever. Um, each one of these things has a certain amount of time that needs to be devoted to it. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where your resilience, this is where losing sections of your character sheet comes into play. Mm-hmm. Because not only do you have eight slots on your character sheet corresponding to things like your item and your skills and your and your, your uh, uh, heirlooms and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but each one of those slots has an amount of time written on it. Mm-hmm. Your first four have one hour. Your second four are each half hour for a total of six hours. Mm-hmm. As you lose resilience, as you become like you, you gain Jiangxi cards or Hmong cards that block off these things, you lose the amount of time that is attached to them. Mm-hmm. Every morning, you have to allot that amount uh, time that you have to spend on completing the chores to upkeep the restaurant. And if you don't have those slots of time if you don't have enough time amongst all your characters to complete all of the chores whatever doesn't get done gets placed on the restaurant board and starts blocking off restaurant abilities mm-hmm. 
starts falling into disrepair. Those detail what, what happens, what the consequences are, and details what um, what needs to be done to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is kind of like the – this is the part where your restaurant really like comes into play. Mm-hmm. You, you, this makes or breaks your ref- restaurant every morning. So the consequences of like getting in a rough fight with Zhang Shi the, more, the, you know, the, the night before, leaving one of your characters heavily damaged essentially – uh, tired and, and, and yeah, and with with only like one hour worth of chore time to prepare. I mean, that wipes five hours worth of chores off the board. Now you have to delegate those out to other people. Maybe you're leaving. You're like, uh, you know what? We're just not putting noodles on the menu today because we're, we don't have enough time to boil right. noodles. And that card goes down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so there's this, this sort of attrition that happens. Mm-hmm. You know. So then you have your afternoon and evening, which is your lunch and your dinner. And this is where RP kind of steps into things. Yeah, these where are you can, a lot less structured as right, game phases. Right. So, like, afternoon is uh, where you're going to have the more general role, role play that mm-hmm. are going to occur. You're going to have elements of, like, the, you know, the day-to-day stuff. The police come by and trying to do something with you or protection money or, or you know, the lunch customers, the, the, the white customers, the non-Asian customers who are coming in asking for food, you know, however they choose to do it, you know. Right. Uh, sometimes gang violence, the tong, which we, we kind of talked about at the dinner, but we're not going to go into heavy detail about, but effectively um, – rivals that have come over from china and or trying to hold their ground um there uh, as well as just resolving other issues with a restaurant that are going on yeah i mean maybe you know the uh one of the plots you're running is like a uh you know your your big thing is pork dumplings and all of a sudden there's a pork shortage or something like that yeah you know because uh you know for whatever reasons there's a supply issue yeah you're gonna have to change over your menu from your signature dish or something exactly you know? and you know what if what if you know there's there's npcs that are getting uppity about that et cetera, et cetera. Like, you know it's it's all dealing with that sort of stuff during yeah. the day basically your mundane problems are going yeah. to happen during the day and i say mundane as as opposite of supernatural right um, now in the evening, mm-hmm. evenings when the Jiangxi appear, the spoopy. Now we're, the, we the haven't gotten time. to the dead of night. We'll get to that. Right, right. But it, but once the sun sets in the evening, that is when the Jiangxi can can start mm-hmm. appearing. Um, and so your threats turn supernatural. Uh, and they possibly show up during your dinner service mm-hmm. because keeping in mind the evening service is still during like the waking hours. Yeah, that's dinner time for people. So. Right. It's an interesting blend where, like, your afternoon is all mundane, your dead of night is after everybody's gone to bed, so that's all supernatural, but then there's that evening in the middle where the two cross over, where suddenly you've got, like, possibly innocent bystanders getting caught in the crossfire of a fight with the Jiangxi. Yeah, like, what's a dinner show versus versus the reality of doing something? Dinner guest shows up sick and slowly turns into a Jiangxi throughout the course of dinner, you know? Right, right. Uh, things like that, and then starts eating the other guests. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. um, and then like I said, yeah, the dead of night is like your witching hour. It's it's the 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 the, the phase where it's basically just all no hold no holds barred on the Jiangxi. Right. Um, and again, these aren't really structured. Like the 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 morning shift, it definitely has a gameplay element like built right into it. But like the afternoon, evening, and dead of night are just thematic role play beats for the storyteller to fill in themselves well and i also feel like that the that you start in the morning and it feels like well the first morning is going to be easy 
Sure. Yeah, it is. It's gonna it's gonna have some role play to it, but it's gonna be light. It's mm-hmm. gonna be mostly discussionary and pass out and things like that. The next morning after especially depending on how rough the last night was right might be very challenging mm-hmm. and now the day it's it's that attrition of 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 stress that's now built into the more mechanical aspects of the game and, and what's and what's more is every morning when you wake up you remove one from the family die pool mm-hmm. so the family has less and less resources progressively to deal with threats yep and that right there is the attrition of the game. We talk about, like, what is the game teaching you? Mm-hmm. And we, right there, is the is a core mechanic of how is this game meant to be played. It's You've got meant to come to together be, as a family. It's meant to be a grind that is done cooperatively. Uh-huh. And I love that concept. I it Again, this is like one of those little takeaways where I'd be like, I wonder how I would roll this into Shadowrun. I don't think, it, I don't think you can roll into Shadowrun. I think you could. I think, no. I think thematically Shadowrun is way too cynical, and it's way too every man for themselves. I think Zhangxi does an amazing job of pitting the entire family as one cohesive unit against an outside, a hostile outside world, mm-hmm. both mundane and supernatural threats. And both of those things cause the family to fold in on itself and defend itself and work together through their own differences. And I don't think you can get that in Shadowrun. Okay, sir. Sir, okay. No. Okay, sir. That's fair. That's fair. And, but you really couldn't do that outside of the mechanics that they've established. Yeah. Like, it makes it very, it makes it very beautiful and very, and very, that cross between table, board game, which would which might even have a not cooperative aspect to it if you mm-hmm. really thought about it and forces through the role play the cooperative aspect. Yeah. Like, absolutely. It is beautiful. I, I mean out, outright like you know like they give gameplay examples of like uh, you know following your your uh, your hopes and dreams, you mm-hmm. know. Um and I, I brought like the jazz the jazz musician thing because that's an actual gameplay example they give. Um where it's like uh, hey, we need you to uh to serve dinner tonight. You know, grandma, grandma says you need to stay here and serve dinner tonight in the restaurant, but there's a jazz concert quartet or something in, going in, on in town. Yeah. And yeah you yeah. want to go see it. So do you stay here and, you know, forgo your hopes and dreams or do you skip out on dinner service, which possibly hurts the restaurant to go and follow your hopes and dreams? Yeah, sure. You get a personal die out of it, but there might be consequences to the restaurant. On the other hand, if you stay behind. You haven't pursued your hopes and dreams, but maybe grandma's hopes and dreams are that the family will all come together to help the restaurant, and you did that. Mm-hmm. So grandma gets a die because you didn't go out. Yep, yep. You know? No, but it's it's cool. It's cool. Yeah. So speaking of which... Speaking of dice. There are two dice pools. So there's the family dice, yes. which sit in the center of the restaurant board. Yep. The, the family dice will sit on the quadrant of the... They'll sit in the, mor- the morning, afternoon, night, or mm-hmm. dead of night mm-hmm. uh, areas of the, of the board. Right, right. Um... Uh, typically, story, the storyteller will set what the pool size is to start with. Um, typically, it's like four or five d eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all d eight in this mm-hmm. in this game. Makes um, it nice. And uh, if you buy the box, it comes with uh, gold dice and red dice. The gold yep. ones are for individuals. The or the red are family <laughs> dice. Yeah. Um, and then, like we said earlier, every morning, if this is a multi day story, mm-hmm. you remove one of those from the pool. So there's a slow attrition of the of the family dice pool. Mm-hmm. Um. 
This is the pool basically everyone's going to roll for most challenges. Mm-hmm. Everybody at the table is going to be using the family dice mm-hmm. for pretty much everything. Right. Um, now, on the other hand, you do have individual dice. Mm-hmm. If you fail a check mm-hmm. using the family dice pool, you gain a individual die. Or if you follow your hopes and dreams, you also gain an individual die. Mm-hmm. And these are golden D8s that will sit in front of you personally. Um, they can be spent to either assist other players. Mm-hmm. Um, you roll them, and if you don't roll four, you can replace their highest die with yours. Mm-hmm. Um, it's assuming it's higher than anything right. they rolled. Right. Um, and uh, you can use it to push a roll, essentially adding it to your own rolls um, to... Uh, uh, try to get a better result out of it. Yep, um, yep. Either way, the individual dice are s- expended once Correct. they're used. They're, they're, they're totally turned back in. Yep. Uh, so your dice mechanics basically are um, you will take the entire die pool of D8 mm-hmm. and you roll them. Now, for each four rolled, mm-hmm. you cancel out the highest die in the pool. Right. Okay. So what that means is if you roll a one, four, five, seven. On your okay. four dice. One, four, five, seven. That mm. four cancels the seven because the seven is the highest one in the pool. And five is the highest that you got. And five there. is the next highest, which means five is your result. Yep. It's whatever the highest die in your pool is yep. after you after your fours cancel out your, your other results. Yeah. And then after that, it's simple. Seven and eight is a success. Five and six is success with consequences, which you know we love. Mm-hmm. And one and three is a failure. You can't roll a four because fours are just cancellations. Yeah. If you have more fours than you do other dice, if you ever have zero dice remaining. And it's fours. Or at, your fours cancel it out. Yeah. Yeah. If after, after canceling with fours, if you have zero dice remaining, that is a critical failure. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a result of zero. Yeah. Which is a, an old mechanic that's floated around for a long time. It was very reminiscent of White Wolf, actually, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. Uh, uh, first edition vampire, like, ones canceled your successes. Now, four is pronounced... Uh, it, so I only know the Japanese end of this, right? So I can only speak for that, but I do know that culturally, it follows over in Japanese. Okay. Four and death are both both pronounced she. Okay. Now they are different kanji; they are different right. symbols. Right. But since they are both said she, mm-hmm. um, four is considered an unlucky number. Gotcha. And so that is that's specifically why this is the number that cancels out successes here. Okay. But also, just on a cultural note, like if you go to Japan, um, it's treated very much like the number 13 over here, where okay. you'll see, like, parking spaces numbered 1, 2, 3, 5. Right. Because you just don't have something labeled 4. Yeah. Why would you? you or know? or in uh, out in Vegas where they'll skip floors mm-hmm. for the same reason because you don't want to be on an unlucky floor. On an unlucky yeah. floor, exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, also, like in Japanese, um, instead of saying she for four, you will say yon, which is yeah. uh, just another way of saying four that yeah. isn't like death. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, so anyways, uh, very simple dice mechanics. Yeah. Um, Com- and you basically do that for everything. Combat is the one... That, like, when I thought about a game that involved vampires and dealing with vampires, my brain went to, okay, combat. And then I went, what? We have a we have a damage system. Yep. We have a, a, a protagonist that is literally the title of the game. And we don't have a combat system. Not really. Not really. Uh, it's... Combat is very... Like, like a lot of other things in this game system, is very... Eh, whatever the table wants. Mm-hmm. Um... 
there aren't a lot of like hard combat rules. It's very like situationally narrative. That's what I thought about it. Like you're handling the situation. However, yeah, exactly. Like, okay, describe to me how you're going to fight this young she off. Well, I've got um my special item is a cast iron walk. So what if I hit them with the walk? Okay, sounds good. Roll your family dice. Yep. You know, and it's just going to be the same roll as everything else. You're going to take the family pool. You're going to roll it. You're going to take your highest number. If it succeeds, cool. You bonk the Zhongxi on the head with your cast iron walk. In fact, hey, you used your special item, so you get, you know, your extra bonus off of yeah, that, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it's just like that. Mm-hmm. And maybe you failed that roll. And so, like like I said, there there's five and six is success with consequences, and one through three is a failure. Mm-hmm. If you failed that roll, maybe the Zhongxi gets the better of you. Maybe you take some damage. The storyteller might decide it's appropriate for you to take one, maybe, maybe one card on a on a on a consequence, a successful consequence, but two Zhang Chi cards if you failed outright. Right. You know. Right. Or maybe just two on a on a on a crit fail. Right. I don't know. Whatever the vibe at the table is. Yeah. You know, and that's really kind of where this game comes down. Yeah. Um, there are mechanics for healing. Mm-hmm. Kind of. Yeah. Um, there's like you can you can break your your uh your heirloom. For three points of, mm-hmm. of healing to heal, it essentially remove three Zhangxi cards mm-hmm. from anybody in the scene collectively. Yep. yep. Um, and there's also like like herbalism and woo magic and stuff mm-hmm. like that that they talk about in there um, that can be used. And again, it's all very narrative, hand wavy, mm-hmm. just whatever whatever the vibe at the table is. Yeah. If you can explain it all right, and it seems like it fits with the story, cool. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, because it's it, it again. It's it, it's one of those games that is supporting the players and mm-hmm. supporting the story and continuing the story. It's not about an attrition of hit points and, and, and boxes, in, you know, at yeah. inappropriate moments. It's funny because the, 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 the vibe of the game can go anywhere from like night of horror, terror, you know, sort of stuff all the way up to like Bob's burgers. Yeah. And, and there's a certain feeling that like, even the creators of the game were like, I absolutely love what we do in the shadows. Uh-huh. Like that vibe of that the Zhangxi could be literally that. They're just kind of hokey. You know, they they definitely have an organization and they're definitely spoopy things, but at the same time like they don't have their crap together. You know, <laughs> they're like two steps above the wandering dead that kind of stare at you in uh in Plants vs Zombies. Like they're 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 there. And so you, or they could be super spoopy, like have some kind of leadership that has a motivation and a drive. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they're all going to be like, thir- you know, CR 13 vampire lords. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is, this is not a game about like, this is not Buffy the Vampire Slayer necessarily where you're going to be yeah. going out and hunting, you know, the legions of the, yeah. no, it's not. You're not a Belmont. That's not what's happening here. It, it, yeah. Exactly. No, you're, you're a bellhop. Exactly. <laughs> at best. At best. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, even like death and dying, you yeah, know, yeah. what, like what, what if all eight squares on your card are covered by Jiangxi cards? Well, you can't help with family in the morning. Yeah. Well, yes, precisely. That's the first thing, you know, you, that's you're out happen. of, you're out of time. You can expend to your, you're useless in the morning. Right. Um, you, you can become a Jiangxi yourself. Yep. But even this is literally prefaced by like, eh, if the player wants. Sure. Oh, uh, they don't. They don't have to. You don't. You can't really force a person to play a Zhangxi if they don't want to. No. They, maybe they're just very sick. Yeah. That's okay. Yeah. They, they Game, got better. Gameplay continues. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, we, we get the point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more interested in telling the story than it is in, like, hard mechanics of, like, punishment for, you know, failure. It's, yeah. it's just very, it's very fun and very loose. And, and the game ends when it feels like it needs to end at the table. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Like, oh, well, we finished the fourth night and dealt with the one dude in town. Do you guys feel like that's a good scene? Yeah, yeah. Seems like we could we could probably wrap it here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. It doesn't mean that we couldn't pick things back up and, and do... epilogue. You go on to fight the Zhangxi for the next four weeks, and you eventually beat them. Cool. Yeah. Excellent. You know, we but handled... without but without their leader in, intact, they they fall to pieces. Exactly. You're all held as heroes. The yeah. end. Yeah. Or 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 even the shift of like the Zhangxi uh, kick you out of your restaurant, and mm-hmm. you guys are all packed up on the train, heading somewhere new with your with the the things that you could make as you see the town kind of basically falling into disarray. You know, that's a possibility too. The story is the story. So, all right, let's give our closing thoughts on this one. What do, sure. uh, what do we what do we like about Jiangxi? I think the book is a delight, one hundred percent. From the menu, the art. Uh, it's it's a baked in flavor, and I say that in tongue in cheek, but also in what they they were trying to accomplish, they did, mm-hmm. and they did it so well mm-hmm. that it makes you want to keep reading through it. Um, and I I think that they made they made you feel like what you needed to feel as you stepped through it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it sold itself very well. I, I loved every aspect of that. Uh, for me, the, the 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 big the big highlight of the book was the fact that seventy one pages were dedicated to uh, history and culture and religion, and really giving a very clear, very concise, and easy to understand picture of what the cultural background and conditions and setup for a Chinese immigrant in the nineteen twenties are that. I, a Polish English, uh, you know, white girl Occasion, from yeah. Detroit, uh, felt very comfortable going, <laughs> I have about four character concepts I'm thinking about right now. Yeah. And that, that I would feel comfortable playing. Yeah. At the same time, reading through it, it made me recognize things that I do in my stories with other races. Why I, I think about things in a certain mm-hmm. light or direction. Yeah. Because I do a lot of those things natively, but I'm like, oh, man, there's a lot of this that comes from other cultures. Oh, yeah. We, oh, we, yeah. Tolkien did what he did in the way that he did it because he was representing a time and a place in his mind and in history. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that that's the way the world should be. It's the It's a snapshot, but he didn't give us the preface that – you know, the orcs were meant to be thugs imparting their way across Europe, mm-hmm. you know, and built for war. You know, like that that was a vision. But this book doesn't do that. It it pulls all the layers back and shows it to you. Yeah, really, really humanizes everybody and and gives you that that clear picture that like even when shadier stuff came up, there were reasons for that shady stuff to, to, to come up. And there were reactions to other stuff that, you know – uh, may, may or may not, you know, yeah. just, just, a, just a, a, a big web of stuff that, that really paints a full picture for you. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, a lot to be taken from that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it pulls no punches and it's designed being a short story. Uh, it, it knows exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does that thing very well. It doesn't try to do anything that it isn't. It says, do you want to play a fun little game? In a short form, 
about a bunch of Chinese immigrants in the 1920s fighting both racists and jumping vampires. While trying to keep a restaurant alive. Let's do it. No, I think it's great. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, I see the beauty and I think that the, that by having it on a physical board with physical materials makes a huge difference. They did the right thing by blending things like this. And it, it is a great blend of everything we talk about where we, we often think that we role play tabletop games. This is role playing a tabletop game in many ways. And I think that's wonderful. I think it does that amazingly well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you could play this strictly as like a tabletop game in many ways. You could. But like you could play it with people who are comfortable with tabletop games because they can see the mechanics of it. Um, I I think that the breakdown happens in the evening and dead of night when it's narrative. Yeah, well, even in the afternoon it becomes well, narrative. Yeah, so yes. yeah, I mean, I I think that's that's really where like your hardcore board gamers are going to. Um... But you still have boxes, you still have frames, you still have roles. It's it's just a different. Yeah, there's enough structure at least to kind yeah. of understand what you're doing. But yeah. it does it does demand of your players some role playing. Yes, and 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 a lot of social understanding. Of how the mechanics socially work in the game. I mean, I, I, I think, I think we need to be clear that this is a role-playing game with board game-like elements to mm-hmm. it. Yes. Not a board game with some role-playing in it. Correct. It, it, it swings the other direction. Yes, it is, it is 75% role-playing game. Mm-hmm. With a lot of just physical aspects to help. Yes, exactly. And, and give you a, a stronger feel of what's going on and show the action to yeah. everyone. And in and instead of instead of, you know, miniatures and terrain, you've just got the, the restaurant board and some cards. Yeah, there's there's nothing to say that you couldn't add a doom clock physically to your role playing game. There's a doom clock. It's called the restaurant board. Well, I meant to another role playing game. Oh yeah. It yeah, shows yeah, as yeah. as the plot changes, the doom clock changes and you're like, uh oh. Mm-hmm. You know, that adds a level of tension. We've talked about this with Jenga Towers and everything else. This game does it a different way. Physicality and, to it, yeah. And sets the tension at a different point because of that. Yeah. It's a give and take, but mostly a take as those dies are removed. As your Zhang Shi cards build up, as your Mung cards build up. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So well, where do we where do we start falling off on well, this game? That I, you say, it, I, I don't I don't know that Zhang Shi really falls off for me anywhere. Um, there's definitely certain things that it doesn't do well. Fair enough. But I, I think the things that it doesn't do well are things that you wouldn't ask it to do. You That's know? fair. I, I feel like Zhang Shi is, like I said, it's a very specialized tool for telling a very, for, for, for telling a very specialized story. Mm-hmm. And for me, though, it's like asking, uh, you know, judging a fish on its ability to ride a bicycle. Yeah. You no, know? That's fair. Fish suck at riding bicycles mm-hmm. in the same way that Zhang Shi f- sucks at being any other type of role-playing game. Mm-hmm. It is a great game for doing exactly what it is designed for. I would never use this system for doing any other type of game. No. I could I could see someone, like, as I was going through things, I could see someone adapting this for, like, a... It, literally just replacing words. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and having an airship that is capturing lightning... In cloud worlds, and there are enemies sure. that are attack it. You could Anything. you could do that and follow some of the same mechanics, but it wouldn't even remotely be the same because it doesn't have the cultural aspects exactly. that add the role play. Exactly, exactly. Um, so yeah, I mean, l- literally anything it's not designed for is just, um the, the dice system for me. 
Um, I'm, I'm sure it works in, 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 in play. Uh, I did watch an actual play of it actually GM'd by Banana Chan, one of the authors. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which was delightful. Um, easily findable on, uh, on YouTube, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're interested. Um, uh, but, but for me, like the dice system, um, it brought back flashbacks of Nat ones, the White in, Wolf failure, and White Wolf. Yeah. Um, and there was, I do remember, and I don't remember the math behind it. Mm-hmm. I was never good at that that part of it, but yeah. I do remember that there was an inflection point at which actually rolling more dice was mathematically more detrimental than it was helpful. If we had Overwatch, he would explain it. I remember him explaining it to me, like where the number game ended. Right now, I don't think the numbers get high and the number of dice get high enough in Jiangxi to be able to do that. Correct. Um, so I'm pretty sure it doesn't suffer the same, the same problem, but it at least evoked that sort of, uh, uh, that, that I recoiled a little bit when I was mm-hmm. like, oh, fours remove successes. That doesn't feel good. Right. Um, but it seemed like in, in the actual play, it felt like it was good. Yeah. There was some high rolls. There was some low rolls. You've got a broad range of successes and stuff like that. And it was between special abilities, re-rolls and, and, uh, your individual dice that you can add into, uh, just rolls here and there and help other people. It seemed like there was enough ways to get around, um, hard fate. Yeah. Hard fate of just rolling a handful of fours and being screwed. Right. Right. I, I, I think the stress levels of this game are appropriate and definitely more heroic than I would think actually serving people. <laughs> yeah, I'll agree with that. I'll agree with that. Um, and then my, my last nitpick um, is that uh, this is an, a very narrative-heavy game. Yes. Uh, and uh, I know that some players like and need firm rules, um, or they start feeling adrift in the system. Yeah. Um, even, even I, you know, I mean, I, I do like, I do like narrative systems a lot better than I like crunchy systems. Mm-hmm. Um, even this one felt me, left me feeling a little like, where are the rest of the rules? <laughs> um, Fair like I, I literally did a double take when I was like, okay, let's get into the combat section and where's... Where's the combat section? I see like, the damage section, but I don't see how you fight things. Blood in, in the banquet hall. Right. Jumping vampires. Blood, blood in, in the, the banquet, banquet hall. hall. Like, where's the combat? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it was, then the whole combat section was, eh, you know, whatever the vibe of the table is, you know? Yeah, like dwarves mining for gold. What's the mining mechanic? <laughs> right. You right. Know? But the truth is, banquet is in the title. And yeah. That's the real stress point. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> there are snakes on the plane. We're not fighting snakes. We're on a plane. That's the key. That's yeah. The <laughs> operative term here is banquet hall, right. not blood. Correct. So, Correct. um, uh, that that's really just my 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 other nitpick is just that uh, pe- people who need rules and structure are not going to uh really have a good time with this system. I think. Yeah. It's, it's very narrative heavy. Very just let's tell a story together that's fun, mm-hmm. and we'll just go from there. Yeah, I I definitely see this as a as a fun story to be played with people who are interested in doing something different. If mm-hmm. you just like if you needed a fill spot between between games. Yeah. Like you're you've been playing D&D, you want to switch over to Shadowrun, you're not ready to run your game or somebody doesn't have their next thing, throw this in there. It is a change up without a doubt. This game to me screamed like, "Hey, a friend from out of town's coming in, and we're gonna throw a little party on Friday night. Wouldn't it be Wouldn't it be cool if we just played some Jiangxi? Yeah. Or I'm going to a convention. 
Like, I, somebody asked me to run a game at a table. I'll run Jiangxi. Yeah. I'll, I'll have some pre-gen characters. We'll get, you know, we can roll through it. Three hours, one box set. Your, uh, your camping trips. Yeah. This would be, I mean, it's a little mechanic, like, uh, physical heavy. You know, played, but, in, played inside, that's fine. Yeah, you, know? you could still do it. Um, but uh, it uses uh, – there are some uh, whiteboard mechanics to it as well. I think mm-hmm. there's some markers and pens in it as well. Yeah. So, But they use whiteboard design, on, and that's why the cardstock is so uh, quality mm. and so heavy is that they wanted you to be able to reuse it again and again and again. Yeah. I think that's great. But It's, it's great. Yeah. So, uh, so I would recommend this game, definitely, especially for people who are narrative heavy. But uh, – and I will say this. Also for storytellers who need an easier story. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is it is as close to railroady narrative as you can get. Yeah, it kinda is. Like you, you kinda know what you're gonna get right. when you get to a game game of Shang Chi. And know? that's that's the whole beauty like you're still gonna tell a story. Yeah. But the thing is is you know what you're getting into. Everybody knows what it is. I don't think that's great, though. Like, you know, let's play Kung Fu Hustle. Oh, really? What are we going to be doing in that, you know? <laughs> right, right. Like, <laughs> I get it, I get it. But at the same time, like, we always talk about railroading being a bad thing, and realistically, it is a series of events. You are you are not railroading. Look, railroading is only when the players want to do something different, and you say, no, you can't do that. We are doing this instead. Right. That's not railroading to say, let's tell a collaborate. let's all agree to tell this story. Right. You know? But, I mean, as far as... But this teaches you, you're making a plot point. You're not directing your players toward a scene. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, a young Yang Shi shows up during the dinner hour or or someone at the table becomes one because you know the the uh the local mafia don comes in and he's a yangshi and he kind of is like he's just like you know unless you pay us you know you will suffer greatly and you're like get out of here you know uh, we don't need your kind you know we can take care of ourselves and you're like well you're going to suffer anyways mm. and as the night progresses one of your patrons slowly turns into a monster in the corner yeah. you know both figuratively and and physically and starts drinking and going after your pa- your other patrons now you have to handle that situation as best you can and then the police show up and it becomes a situation but how it's handled that's totally up to your players yeah yeah and and fate and that's that's where this game kind of allows the storyteller to sit back and just present stuff out. Yeah, yeah. Versus writing an epic campaign, you've got them all trapped in a room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you only you need to tell this one little you know corner of Chinatown, yeah. and there's a lot of different aspects you can bring into that. Yeah. They don't they don't you don't have to, but you've got a broad toolbox of things that they easily spell out for you mm-hmm. um, of all the different influences. Um, and that kind of brings me to like where where my recommendation would come from. Sure. I mean, obviously, this is a great little um, tidy little game that's great for short runs if you need something like that. Uh, but at the same time, I would highly recommend this honestly just for the first seventy pages of the book. Um, we debate a lot on this uh, uh, on the show about. Um, you know, playing things of different cultures or different backgrounds, uh, you know, playing a character of a different sexuality or different gender, different race, uh, you know, and, and how can you do that tactfully? And the first 70 pages of this book are literally the guide manual on how to do that tactfully and respectfully and honor the character that you're playing rather than stereotyping them. 
No, I, I completely agree, and that's kind of what drew me to it as mm-hmm. much as it did. And honestly, I think when we start when we step into our two hundred twos a bit more and get back to yeah, to, to shows, this is definitely going to be another guidepost for us. So yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Um, so you want to what? Uh, uh, next week's uh, next week's show. Yes. Uh, building mysteries. Building the mysteries, which so, we've we've touched upon it in the past, like many times before, but. We've got some new information. We've definitely kind of – we're culminating a lot more things to try and help people build better mysteries mm-hmm. that your players aren't just totally lost in. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And some things that we've done, some stuff that I've definitely made mistakes on, mm-hmm. and some stuff that uh, that we that I ran across and you directed me to, funnily, mm-hmm. uh, the, the three rule – uh, the three clue rule, which I think is oh, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I I'd read it once before and I totally forgot about it, and then we refound it, and I'm like, we're putting that right back in. But so, uh, yeah, uh, anyways, run, running running mystery elements in your games, uh, it's uh, something a little, little tough. But uh, like I I was running a mis- kind of kind of a mystery element in the first first half of my my uh, uh, no uh, current. I want to break that down. So, but uh, yeah, we'll have fun next week. Absolutely. All right. So you can find us on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time on MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And join us upon our Discord. You can find the link up on our Twitter, uh, as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members, especially our name members, who help us out every single month. Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion Veteran, Subjet, and Huluvu. We really appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. And our intro music, uh, which is by the, uh, beyond the, beyond the warriors. You can do it. By Geefrog, uh, is, uh, you can find it at geefrog.bandcap.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, Only Our Footprints in the Sand, is by Midair Machine, and you can find that at freemusicarchive.org. Uh, big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us all these years. Thank you. All of our friends who sat with us at our tables over the years to give us these great stories to share with you, as well as you, all every single one of our listeners. We, we love, love you, you so much. Good night. Good night.